Welcome back to the Mercy Came Running Podcast. If you're here for the first time, welcome. If you're a frequent listener, welcome back. As a reminder, we publish podcasts here every Monday morning as an encouragement to start your week, as a pick-me-up in the middle of the week, or to reflect on the week gone by. Let's get into today's scripture. Have you ever wondered what the Bible is all about? Have you ever stopped to think so many different authors, 66 books, over thousands of years, two testaments, how does it all fit together? Does it all fit together? Can all of these writings from all these different authors from all these different times really uh, really come together in one cohesive book and one cohesive story? Maybe you've been skeptical about that. Maybe you've been thinking, you know, there is no way that can happen. Well, I'm glad you're thinking that because that's what we're going to do today. We're going to cover the entire Bible in less than 20 minutes. The entire Bible, uh, just a, a, a microcosm of the entire Bible in the next 20 minutes or less. Can we do it? Is it possible to show that the Bible all fits together, all 66 books, everything fits together in less than 20 minutes? I want to tell you that we can. And if we focus in the right places, and if we look at the right things, and if we see the themes that run through just one, one portion of the scriptures, we can see that everything fits together. Everything coalesces into one cohesive unit. And all of that happens in the first 12 chapters of Genesis. And that's where we're going to be today. And that's what we're going to look at. We're going to see how, how God takes the Bible and he, and, and he shrinks it down into the first 12 chapters. And after that, we're going to see how God has unfolded his grace to the world. We can do it. And I want you to see how the Bible all fits together. And how it can fit together just beginning with the first 12 chapters of the book of Genesis. Come along with me for this journey in less than 20 minutes. And so we're looking at the book of Genesis this morning, specifically the first 12 chapters, actually the first 11 chapters, and the, probably the first two, two or three verses of chapter 12. And in this, we're going to see how God has molded the world together and how he's making things work out in his plan, in his time, for his purposes. Chapter 1 is what I call... Um, macro creation, macro creation, meaning if you're in an airplane and you're looking out the window, you get a view of everything. And so as you're looking down from Genesis chapter one, you're looking at the, the 33,000 uh, foot view. You're looking at, you're looking down on the world from really high up. You're looking down at creation as God did it um, in an extraordinary way. Day one, day two, day three, day four, day five, day six, and he rested on day seven. And you get the overall view of what God did. Chapter two is what I call micro-creation. And in other words, it is the ground level view. It is the view of, uh, of specifically the creation of man and how God did that and how you can take 
uh, day six when he created man and he put him in the garden and you see the nuances of what he did, how he created man first and then he created woman from the rib of man. And you can see how how he cared for uh, for humankind and, and how he still cares for humankind and, and how he put all of this together for his plan and for his purposes. And with macro creation and micro creation in chapters one and two, in chapter three, we really begin to get to the nuts and bolts of God's plan for human history. And we're going to see a theme that's running through these first 11 chapters, the first 11 chapters and the first uh, couple of verses of chapter 12. And that's the theme of sin, judgment and grace. And as we walk through these chapters, we're going to see exactly how this theme plays out and how it molds the Bible together and how it helps everything to fit together into one cohesive package. So buckle up. Here we go. Chapter three is the story of man's fall. The sin in chapter three was the eating of the fruit was the disobeying of God when God said he put them in the in the in the garden and said all of the trees here in the garden you can eat of but not of the the uh, tree of the knowledge of good and evil he said you can't do that don't eat from that one and then the serpent shows up and says what has God said to you and Adam and Eve said well he said we, we can eat of all these trees but not the tree of knowledge of good and evil because if we do, we're going to die. And the serpent said, you're not going to die. Because God knows that once you eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, then you're going to be able to discern things just like him. And you can be just like God. And because of that, Eve ate. And then she gave to her husband. And he ate. And they were both guilty. It doesn't matter who ate first. They were both guilty. They could either one of them could have said, nope, we're not going to do that. But neither one of them did. And they were both guilty. Their sin was that they wanted to be like God. Their sin was that they disobeyed a direct command from God. The judgment was that God kicked them out of the garden. They, he kicked them out of paradise. He kicked them out of the, the, the best places they could have been. And he made them, he made Adam a tiller of the soil and working with his hands. And he told Eve she was going to have pain in childbirth. This was the judgment from the fall. What was the grace? Well, the grace was, well, number one, he didn't kill them. He didn't take their lives and start over. Then number two, he made them close. They knew what good and evil was then. And he made them close so they wouldn't be ashamed of themselves. See, the grace was that God allowed them to live. And then he made them close to allow them to live together. Sin, judgment, grace. Moving on to chapter 4. It's the, the account of, of Cain and Abel. Cain and Abel were brothers. They were the sons of Adam and Eve and they came and brought their offerings to the Lord. Now, Cain was a farmer. Abel was a shepherd. And some will say, well, Cain's was a grain 
was a grain uh, sacrifice and Abel's was a uh, animal sacrifice, which was more pleasing to God. That's not just that's not the case, because if you look in the book of Leviticus and you look in Numbers, and you look in Deuteronomy and you see all of these uh, these different sacrifices that the Lord required of his people. One of them was a grain sacrifice. It was a sacrifice of flour. There were animal sacrifices as well, but just because Cain gave a grain sacrifice and Adam uh, and uh, Abel gave a animal sacrifice doesn't mean that one was better than the other. But it was the attitude of their hearts. See, Cain's attitude was not one of worship towards God, and Abel's was. And so Abel's sacrifice was accepted and Cain's was not. And that made Cain angry. It made him so angry that he killed his brother. That is the sin of chapter 4, is that Cain killed Abel. What's the judgment? Well, God uh, put a mark on his forehead and he made him wander the earth. He was a vagabond from that time on. He had to go and live away from his family. He was shunned. That was the judgment. And the grace? Well, Cain was afraid that people were going to kill him when they found out that he had killed his brother. And he was afraid for his life. And so God put a mark on his forehead. That was the grace. And it signified to people that this was Cain and they weren't to touch him. They couldn't take his life. See, even in his sin, even through his judgment, God is still looking out for Cain and giving him grace. We move on to chapter 5 and we get to a genealogy. And this is the line of Seth, which was Adam and Eve's uh, third son. And through the line of Seth is going to come the rest of the line that we're going to see that comes through through the scriptures, through Abraham and through, uh, the, rest of the, through the rest of the Bible. But a lot of times we get to these genealogy chapters and we want to skip over them because it's a lot of begats. This person begat this person, this person begat this person, and this person begat this person. And we miss some of the great things in those genealogies. And what I look at in, in genealogies, and I, and I call them fast-forward history, because what's happening here in chapter 5 is that God is fast-forwarding through history. And he tells us these are the families with the record of the descendants of Adam. Adam was 130 years old when he followed his son in his likeness, according to his image, and named him Seth. Seth was 105 years old when he fathered Enosh. Seth lived 187 years after the birth of Enosh, and he fathered sons and daughters. And so Seth's life lasted 912 years, and then he died. And then it talks about Enosh. And he was 90 years old when he fathered Kenan. And Enosh lived 815 years after the death, birth of Kenan, and he fathered other sons and daughters. And so Enosh's life lasted 905 years, and then he died. And so we get to this third generation, and we're thinking, man, this is just going to be a bunch of nothing. And it's going to be the same thing over and over again. But don't think that. Because we get down to, we get down to verse 18 of chapter 5. And it says, Jared was 162 years old when he fathered Enoch. And Jared lived 800 years after the birth of Enoch. And he fathered sons and daughters. And Jared's life was 962 years. And then he died. 
And then Enoch was 65 years when he fathered Methuselah. And after the birth of Methuselah, Enoch walked with God 300 years and fathered other sons and daughters. And so Enoch's life lasted 365 years. And Enoch walked with God. And then he was not because God took him. You see what happens there? The writer just kind of throws you a curveball. And it's not the same kind of genealogy. And he stops and he says, you know what? We need to look at Enoch's life because there was something different about him. So don't miss out on genealogies. Don't skip out on genealogies in the scriptures because there's important things in there. And every now and then the writer will stop and say, you know what? Let's take a look at this person. We're going to see that again over in chapter 10. But think about that. If you're thinking about the genealogies, remember that they're there for a purpose. And don't skip out on them. So we get to chapter 6. Chapter 6 is the, the account of the flood. Chapter 6 through 9 are the account of the flood. And what was the sin? Well, it was man was continually wicked in everything that he did. He was wicked. Man was wicked. And God, the Bible says that God was sorry. He repented that he had, that he had made man. And he decided he was going to start over. And he caused a great flood because of the wickedness of man, which was the sin. The judgment was that God was going to cause a great flood to kill all of mankind, all the animals, everything, except just a few. The grace was that God found favor. Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. And because of that, God saved Noah and his family on the ark. God told Noah to build an ark. This was the grace that even though God was going to destroy mankind, he was going to leave a remnant. A remnant of people, a remnant of animals, that after the flood, they were going to go back onto the earth and replenish. See, the sin was wickedness. The judgment was the flood. The grace was the ark. And so through these uh, verses, chapters 6 through 9, you see that God's grace is playing out in the life of Noah and his family. Then we get to chapter 10, another genealogy. These are the family records of Noah's sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And they also had sons after the flood. After the flood, Noah's family, they left the ark and they began to, to multiply and they began to replenish the earth as, as God had told them to. And you get here to, to the genealogies. Ham's sons, Cush, Egypt, Put, and Canaan, Cushan, Sheba, and Havilah, and Sabathah, and Ramah, and Sabekta, and Ramah's sons, Sheba, and Dedan. And you get to verse 8, and he stops again, and he pinpoints one person in Ham's line. It says that Cush fathered Nimrod, who was the first powerful man on the earth. He was a powerful hunter in the sight of the Lord. That's why it is said, like Nimrod, a powerful hunter in the sight of the Lord. You see, through these genealogies, the writer will stop and say, this is someone you need to focus on. This is someone who did something great. This is someone who was important. And they'll stop long enough to make a statement about them. As I said before, don't miss out on the genealogies. Because they hold a great wealth of information about the people that are there. And then when we get to chapter 11, chapter 11, the Tower of Babel, 
at one time, the whole earth had the same language. And so man brought, to, brought themselves together and said, we're going to build a tower to the sky. Once again, the sin was pride. We can do anything. We can do anything we set out to do. We're going to be like God. We're going to reach up to the heavens and be like God. And God looked down and said, you can't be like me because you're not like me. And because of that sin of pride, the judgment was that he uh, was that he confused the languages and the people couldn't communicate and they stopped building. So the sin was pride. The judgment was that God scattered the people among the earth. And then when you get to the bottom part of chapter 11, after the scattering of the people, Verse 9 says, Therefore his name was called Babel or Babylon, for there the Lord confused the language of the whole earth, and from there the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. So that was the judgment. The people, the languages were scattered, and the people, the languages were confused, and the people were scattered. And then you get to verse 10, and you think about, well, what's the grace here? And you get to chapter, verse 10, it says, These are the families of the records of Shem. Now, wait a minute. We've been seeing this theme throughout the entire, throughout these entire chapters, sin, judgment, and grace. But when we get to chapter 11, there's sin and there's judgment, and then there's a genealogy. But the genealogy is there for a purpose, and it gets us to chapter 12. And the Lord said to Abram, Go, to, go out from your land, from your relatives and your father's house to the land that I will show you and I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and I will make your name great and you will be a blessing and I will bless those who bless you and I will curse those who treat you with contempt and all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. You see, the grace from chapter 11 is not seen immediately in chapter 11, but it's brought about through the life of Abraham. It's brought about through the life of Abraham through one day, down through history, through the, through the line of Abraham, through the line of David, through the, into the New Testament to where we see the birth and the, resu- the death and the resurrection of Jesus. You see, the sin of chapter 11 was pride. The judgment was the scattering of the people, but the grace, the grace is found from chapter 12, Genesis chapter 12, through the end of the Bible. And everything that follows after that is God showing his grace to the scattered peoples of the earth. Ultimately, through the birth, life, death, and resurrection, an eventual second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's how it all fits together. That's how the Bible is woven together, how it comes to a, um, a, a coalescing unit through the man, Abraham, and eventually through Jesus. See, the Bible does fit together. All 66 books, all these many authors, over all these many years, and the Bible fits together like a glove. And that's your Bible in 20 minutes or less. Hope you enjoyed this. But know that the Bible all fits together, and it comes to its ultimate conclusion and its ultimate fulfillment in Jesus. 
We'll see you next week. Thank you again for joining me on the Mercy Came Running podcast. It's my hope that it continues to be a blessing and an encouragement to your life. If you enjoy what you hear each week, share it out to your friends and family who could also benefit from hearing an encouraging word. Thanks again, and I'll see you next week.